Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Psalm 88, um, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the director of music, according to Mahalath Lianas, a mascal of Heman the Ezraite. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do the spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They've completely engulfed me. You've taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. And I'll I'll just pray for Matthew before he comes up. Um, Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll use Matthew to speak to us and that he'll (laughs) make sense of all this darkness. And just pray that you'd be with him and you'd uh, watch over him and us and speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Kieran. Guys, I'm sure as that psalm was read, you're kind of sitting wondering where on earth is it going to uh, veer upwards. It seems that it started here and it just descended downhill. And I, I'm convinced that this is an absolutely unique psalm. And so we're really, we're, we're going to jump into it. We're going to get a, an, an idea of the feel of it. And, and I'm hoping that it's going to become a tool in our arsenal. It's going to become a psalm that we could put under our back pocket and use on rainy days. So church, my, my name is Maffey. If I haven't met you before, then uh, I, I serve here in the staff team at Christ City Church. Really good to see you. I'd love to get caught up with you outside afterwards. And if you've been coming along or you want to find out more about the church, then we're going to be doing Connect in here again afterwards. So we're currently in our fourth week out of five on our series of Psalms of Lament. And you can pick up our other talks on the website or on Spotify. Uh, they're all available there. And so I, I think we're going to dive into what is possibly the darkest corner, or one of the darkest corners of the Bible, um, as we dive into Psalm 88. And so you might have noticed in, in Kieran's reading the lack of hopefulness, the, the somber tone, the lack of any kind of praise in the psalm. It might even feel out of place hearing these words, or hearing these words read, or hearing somebody actually talk to God in this way. But as, as you can see, and as you know, the psalms are full of intense, raw language. Really raw language, but it almost always ends on a hopeful note. It almost always goes upwards towards the end. 
But Psalm 88 begins with, I cry out day and night before you, verse 1. And then it ends in pain, and it says, my companions have become darkness, or darkness is my closest friend, verse 18. And so perhaps this is your reality today, however big or however small. Um, but you know what? It's not long before our minds could maybe be taken to a disaster in Haiti. Or as we begin to think about, about lamenting, maybe it wouldn't be long before our minds are taken to Afghanistan. I cry out day and night before you. My companions have become darkness. My, uh, my darkness is my closest friend. And so over the last two weeks, we all saw the horrors in the news of women, children, followers of Jesus. The, the persecution each of those are beginning to face as the Taliban begin to implement their strict interpretation of Sharia law. And so as people begin to flee to the airport in one way and then begin to flee into the mountains and the villages in the other way, perhaps this psalm is a fitting psalm, very appropriate to their experience. And so for us, the question that begs is, what do we do when darkness seems to have the final word? And so for so many in Afghanistan now, darkness appears to have the final word. You know, these psalms will serve as springboards to help us process our thoughts. Help us process our emotions while in the midst of darkness. And so perhaps for you, it's coming through the other side of the pandemic and emerging into a changed world. And maybe for others, it's grappling with the loss of loved ones. Perhaps delayed uh, grief. Might be frustration with the government responses, perhaps. Whatever it may be, these psalms of lament can help direct our cries of frustration, can help direct our cries of anguish and desperation toward God rather than away from him. And so whenever darkness seems to have the final word, Psalm 88 can be so helpfully adopted. And so this, this is the direction we're going to go today. When it seems that there is life without death, life without light, present your lament. Whenever it seems that there's death without hope, prostrate your heart. And, and we'll explain a little bit as we get there. And then when it seems that there's questions without answers, I'm going to suggest that we persist in prayer. It's a life without light. Look at verses 1 and 2. If you've got a Bible open. It says, look, look with me at how the psalmist begins. Lord, you are the God who saves me. And day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. The psalmist has hit rock bottom. He's literally in the pit. He's overwhelmed with troubles. He feels like he's near death. The psalmist despairs of life itself. He can see nothing good, there's nothing positive, there's nothing encouraging. And yet it seems that God is not responding. God seems to be doing absolutely nothing about it. And the psalmist is so brutally honest. Look, look on the screen. Verse 6, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and you've made them repulsive to me. The psalmist is absolutely going at God. And guys, sometimes it seems that the weight of our trials are so severe that we can't keep our head above the water. The pain is so raw, the, the disappointment is so heavy, and we simply can't imagine the, the situation ever changing. We can't see healing, we can't articulate any kind of hope, but then whenever we try to articulate a hope, it just hurts all the more. And so we'd rather not pray, and we're tempted just to turn the other way. 
But church, I want to say it's in these moments of sorrow when it seems that there is life without light, the very thing we need to do is actually to present your lament. Whenever it seems that there is life without light, the very thing we need to do is present your lament. Do you see it? The psalmist is having it out with God. The psalmist is having it out with God. He's giving God all his God. He's telling him how he feels. He's showing him where he's at and even he's laying the blame on God. And so for, for some of you, that might, might actually sound offensive. might appear theologically incorrect. And you, you might find yourselves itching at this point. But yet, look at verse 9. Look, look at what's happening. In verse 9, he says, I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. I've known, I've known times in my life whenever, whenever Christians, and including myself, hesitate from saying things to God. Because one, it doesn't sound right. Two, it doesn't sound holy. Three, it doesn't sound proper. And it doesn't fit with my picture of Almighty God, so I won't say it. But yet, look at what the psalmist does here. He lays his emotions out before God. There's no mention of sin here at all. There's no mention of retribution. There's no mention of having done anything wrong to deserve this. The psalmist is simply presenting his lament while he is in the darkness. Church, you are given permission to present your lament before God. These psalms help model ways for us in which we can express every aspect of our heart before our Father. And so Psalm 88 kind of gives us a space and this freedom uh, to do that very thing. So that in seasons of darkness, whenever we find ourselves in the pit, we've now got words to use. We've got Psalm 88 to do the very thing that this guy Haman the Ezraite actually did. And what's that is to call out to the Lord every day to spread out our hands before him. Have it out with God. Share exactly what's on your mind, the emotions that you're feeling. Involve God in the process. And so in Psalm 88, we're really just in the Bible descending as low as we can go emotionally. But yet our hope in a listening, personal, relational Lord still remains. And so we never give up in prayer. We know God is still there. And he might have good reason for playing hard to reach in, in specific cases. But God doesn't owe us an explanation. Yet for our part, let's not hold back with, with our emotive expressions of distress. Let's not hold back with our disappointment and how things are working out. When, when was the last time you told God you were disappointed? When was the last time you maybe told God you're disappointed in him? So when it seems that there's life without light, let's present our lament. And as we move on, we can see in verses 10 to 12 that there's death without hope. So when it seems that there's death without hope, I want to suggest we prostrate our heart. And the psalmist takes a series of six rhetorical questions. So on the screen, you can see there's six questions, each before God, and they all anticipate a negative response. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Of course not. The dead are dead. Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? No, of course not. How can they be? The psalmist feels as close to death as one can actually be, and he's crying out before God against a sense of injustice. And all the questions of the same point. His cry of desperation is as if to say, God, you're the God of the living. And if you're the God of the living and you want to be taken seriously, then you need to keep me alive. How can I worship you whenever I'm dead? It's impossible. Remember back to verse 1. The psalmist begins and he says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. 
I want to suggest that this raw, this emotive language and these rhetorical questions that you can see in the screen are actually indicators of a deeper faith and not a lesser one. Could you imagine yourself saying them same words to God? I think so often we, we refrain from these things because it seems, oh, well, it shows that I have a lack of faith. I want to suggest that this raw emotive language is actually a deeper and more intimate faith where there's nothing hidden, everything is on the table, there's absolutely no holding back. And isn't there something beautiful about the psalmist's authenticity? As he, as he appeals before God, he's able to do this. How and why? Because he knows well. He knows well the one he unleashes his appeal towards. He can do this because he knows God well. But yet there's a strangeness, isn't there, with this kind of response that we all struggle with. In, in his blog, Steve wrote, one of the challenges facing the Western church is that we can so often imbibe the worldview of our culture and the grand narrative of progress, advance, and success. But the problem is this worldview doesn't fit with many of our lives. And it certainly doesn't fit with much of the church across the globe. We're not all happy, prosperous, and beautiful people that we're told we can become. And if we're not careful, our language and our worship can easily communicate only praise and never lament. Only progress and never faltering. Only advance and never stagnation. Only success and never failure. And so then this has a devastating effect on those both inside and outside the church. One of my own struggles, and I, I read this and I'm like, oh, math, if only you'd read this two to three years ago, then you wouldn't have done what you'd done. But one of my own struggles with learning how to lament came a couple of years ago. I lost both my grandfathers in the space of three months. And it was tough, but ultimately life had to go on. And so whenever, uh, whenever some people came around me at CCC, they gave me the space to lament. They gave me the space to grieve. They gave me the space to share my thoughts, share my feelings. But what I'd done was I so naturally jumped to the good things and to the promises of God, the reassurances and, and I, I jump to these things that are true about God, they're true about life, and they're true about his word, they're theologically correct, and they're good, and they made me feel good. I did that to try and soften the blow. I jumped to the promises, but I actually skipped the process, and this is key. As, I, as a result, I wasn't actually lamenting before God, but I was trying to cover my pain from him. And so it was only whenever I received some gentle prodding, some questions, and was given, a, given an open space with a couple of lads around the table, did I really understand that what I was actually doing was I, I was holding back my deepest emotions. I was holding back my deepest thoughts from God. But I was also robbing him of the worship that he was due through my lament. So I robbed God of, of worship because I wasn't lamenting. And I was robbing myself of the chance to properly grieve my losses. It wasn't progress. It wasn't success. It wasn't advance. I was in a season where I felt like I was simply holding on, thriving. It felt like a million miles away. The idea of thriving was totally foreign. So when it seems that there's death without hope, I want to suggest you prostrate your heart. You lay it all out before the Lord. And so as the psalmist draws the, 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 the psalm to a close, and as he draws this lament to a close, it seems that there's questions without answers. 14, rejected, suffering, despair, destroyed. 
He says, I, I cry out for help to you, Lord, and the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me, God? So he's, he's rejected, he's suffering, he's in despair. He says, God's wrath has swept over him. And he uses words like destroyed, surrounded, engulfed. The psalmist has been afflicted and there doesn't seem to be any letting up. There doesn't seem to be any answers coming. And then the psalm closes off with, you have taken my companions and loved ones from me. Darkness is my closest friend. Church, when it seems that there's only questions coming, but no answers, persist in prayer. The truth of Psalm 88 is that we live in a world where sometimes there's no answer. That's a tough pill to swallow. Sometimes there's no answer. A world where God isn't always on call. But it doesn't mean that we stop calling. So like the psalmist, we persist in prayer. Psalm 88 isn't a psalm of, of a mute depression, but it's rather one where the psalmist is forcing a conversation. The psalmist is actually asking the hard questions. So he's forcing the conversation, he's vocalizing his thoughts and his feelings, he's given God permission and space to come in and bring hope and restoration. He's saying, God, I need you to come in and do this. And so these questions actually force the conversation forward. Whereas for me in my grief, I was avoiding them. I was trying to jump through the process and go straight to the promises. And in the end up, I was actually, uh, actually not, not, not worshiping correctly and robbing myself of true grief. Rob myself of true lament. And so in asking these questions, it forces a conversation, and in doing so, it actually matures our faith. It matures our faith. It, it, it doesn't send it off the rails. You know, if we didn't trust that God cared, and if we didn't trust that God is listening, then we would remain silent. But the psalmist continues to speak. He continues to speak. Why? Because he knows and he trusts that God cares. Otherwise, he wouldn't speak. So we've got Psalm 88 as, as proof of, of one in distress who didn't remain silent. So whenever darkness seemed to have the final word, he presented his lament. When darkness seemed to have the final word, he prostrated his heart. And whenever darkness seemed to have the final word, he persisted in prayer. So as we've been exploring what it looks like to lament with raw, authentic language in the last four weeks, there's something really important that we've got to understand when it comes to lament. And that simply is the difference between a lament and a complaint. A difference in a lament and a complaint. Paul Miller puts it really simply in his book, A Praying Life. Wonderful book. If you haven't got it, please get it. If you can't afford it, email Steve. He'll get it for you. <laughs> and if you're listening on Spotify in years or months to come, this, uh, this offer expires in one week. But the, there's a great difference in a lament and a complaint. And Paul Mauer says, a lament is faith. A complaint is rebellion. Laments are directed toward God, but complaints grumble about God to anybody but him. It's similar to the difference between confrontation and gossip. When you're frustrated with somebody and you refuse to talk to them directly, aren't you tempted to let your, leak, your, your thoughts leak out and, and, and gossip? You're sitting around the table and you're chatting about that person. It seems so much easier to chat to somebody else about that person than to go to God or go to that person and, and actually, actually have that confrontation, actually get it out in the open, actually resolve it. Instead of gossiping about God indirectly, a lamenter courageously addresses him to his face. There's such a difference. A lament is faith, a complaint is rebellion. 
but laments also submit to God. So even whenever there's questions asked of them, they'll come under God's judgment. So they'll ask the questions, but they'll come and they'll submit themselves under the Lord. And so in in laments, we actually find our rightful place before God. But yet, interestingly, complaints actually make demands of God. So whenever we begin to complain, we actually elevate our place above the Lord. And as we do that, we make demands of him where he needs to answer or else. And so what we do is we, we bring ourselves to a position above him rather than submitting to him. One of the crucial things with laments is they, they always will circle around. Apart from Psalm 88, they'll circle around to faith. You'll see all the other Psalms and all the other laments in the Bible will circle around to faith. And the question is, how does God respond to our laments? So what do we do? We, we, we lament, we, we give it out, we, we bring it all to the Lord, and what does he do? How does God respond to our laments? He responds by pointing us forward. He points us forward, our our crucified and our resurrected King, Jesus, personally experienced the same kinds of loss, same kinds of confusion, darkness, and infinitely worse. But yet whenever we approach God with our laments, we don't approach a vague being. Rather, we, we, we approach one who knows well what it is to suffer, who knows well what disappointment looks like, who knows well what frustration and abandonment feels like. But yet for us, this, this doesn't mean that we skip to the end of the story. We, we, we don't pole vault over the pain, so to speak. We actually must go through it and we must grow through it. There's no shortcuts. But I want to tell you that God doesn't waste any of our pain. And you know, as God, as, as God meets us in, in Christ, and as God points us forward toward Christ, that doesn't mean there's going to be an answer to that question or to that pain. You know, there will, be answer, there will be questions that you won't get the answer for. There will be pain and there will be suffering that you'll go through that you may not receive an answer for this side of eternity. And I want to tell you, it's okay. Because the very same as here in Psalm 88. The very same as in Psalm 88. But God responds to our laments by pointing us forward toward Christ, but also by uniting us with Christ. So Christ said to church, since God unites us to Jesus as we lament, so then we can create space for others to lament. So that God would do the very same for them. So the environment that we create will actually shape the laments that our brothers and sisters will go through. Laments have the actual potential to nourish an even greater intimacy. Did you know that lamenting before the Lord could really, really kickstart your relationship with him? It's got the potential to nourish greater intimacy with Jesus. But yet it mustn't become a process to be rushed. And as a church, we've we've got to get good at creating a space for others to have it out before the Lord. Whenever it's so tempting to jump on them and say, well, that's, that's theologically correct, that's wrong, you shouldn't be feeling that way. But if we create a space where our brothers and sisters can freely and can openly lament in a safe space, then it actually can nourish intimacy, can nourish relationship. So whether church it's in your city group or whether it's in your life group, maybe it's in your friendship groups, I'd encourage you to encourage lamenting as a form and as an act of worship, creating space for others to have that freedom to lament without the fear of judgment, without the fear of correction. 
So whether, church, you, you, you find yourself lamenting before God, or whether you find yourself in the coming months to create space, maybe in your home, for others to lament, for others to grieve, know this, that whenever darkness seems to have the final word, God has created for you and me a prayer in Psalm 88 by this guy called Haman the Ezraite. I have no idea what he was going through. But I know that he has voiced words to God that God has given to me and to you that we can use to lament as an act of worship before the Lord. We've been given words that, and prayers that actually unites us to Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you know well what, what it is to, um, to have unanswered questions. You know well what it is to have disappointment and to have abandonment and to have frustrations. And you cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus, may we be a church that follows suit in the sense that we, that we can cry out before our Father in, in every season that we wouldn't rob ourselves of lament, that we wouldn't rob ourselves of grief, that we wouldn't rob ourselves of the chance to engage with the living God, with our true thoughts, with our true feelings. Jesus, may we become a church that matures to the point where we can create the space for others to lament freely and where we can journey with one another as we, as we so often go through the process. And Jesus, may your promises be a bright light. May they be a shining light. But may we not neglect lamenting. May we not neglect the process. Jesus, I thank you that as the Father has pointed us forward, he has pointed us toward you. And he unites us to you today. Lord Jesus, in your name.